welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to another episode of Roadside. I'm Abigail. I am Janica. And we're back after a little bit of a break for the holidays. Yes, took a quite a break actually when I looked at yeah. I was like when did we do this last and it's it was like over a month weeks. ago yeah yeah it's been a while we're back we back are for back 2024 and better than ever baby yes absolutely yes so mother how are you how is life life is good I have a little bit of a update that I was oh. gonna do last in December for Christmas and I never got around to it so I just figured I would give that to our listeners all right, what do we got? Before I forget again, <laughs> if you've never listened to episode eight, which was about our Christmas movie houses, Ooh. yes, and we talked about the Christmas story house, and it was for sale, mm-hmm. which we've been there. We have. It, was it cool. has a new owner now. Ooh. Yes. The new owner is Josh Dickerson, and- Josh was actually a warehouse employee that was hired 16 years ago. Really? To work at the Christmas Story House. Yeah. Oh, so he's been there for a while. Yeah. And he worked his way up from warehouse employee to CEO. Oh my gosh. Before he eventually became the new owner. The owner. Good for Josh. Right. He's really moving up. I'm proud of you, dude. Right. And I bet he's such a big fan of the movies. So yeah. like, imagine how cool that is, like watching it as a kid and not knowing eventually that's going to be my house. I know. I'm going to own that cool. house. That yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Brian Jones was the former owner. Uh, so when he decided to retire, he felt like Josh was the perfect person to be the nice. new owner and to that's keep the, sweet. you know, keep the keep spirit the alive. Keep alive. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, nice. I'll link that. it in the show notes for you. And if you want to listen to episode eight, I know we're out of the Christmas spirit right now. Um, but if you want to listen, um, I guess episode. depending on when you're listening to this one, uh, right. <laughs> we cover the Christmas story house and also the Christmas with the cranks house and the home alone house in that episode. That was a good episode. Just a little update for you. That was a good one. Yeah, it was, it was a fun one. That's all the business I have. Cool. I got no business. Oh, no, I do have more business. I forgot. Oh, uh, <laughs> never mind. More business. More business. <laughs> Abigail and I have committed to getting back on track for 2024 mm-hmm. and giving you weekly episodes again. And I have also updated our Patreon levels. So if you would Ooh. like to be a patron and get some bonus episodes. I'm going yeah. to be adding some new bonuses for our patrons. Mm-hmm. Go patron. You can go to patreon.com slash roadside and you can sign up right there and support us. We would greatly appreciate that. We would. We would actually love you forever. We would. I mean, we love all of you forever, but anyway, course, but you know, of course, but you know, that would be just a little bit, a little bit extra support for us. That'd be very and nice. And you get bonus episodes. And of if you get, that's the first level. But if you get any other level, you also get bonus episodes plus some other fun things. Some extras. Some mm-hmm. little fun surprises. Yeah. Alrighty. 
So there you go. I think that's all the business now. Okay, cool. Exciting. Yeah. You ready? And today is Abigail's episode, so I am yes. very curious. She said she's excited, so I I am very excited about this. I have always wanted to visit this place. Oh, okay. It's been on my bucket list forever. Okay. So today we are talking about Stonehenge. Oh, cool. Yes. It was super fun to research. I could probably make multiple episodes about it <laughs> because of how in-depth, like, all the archaeology and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So, without further ado, Stonehenge is obviously one of the world's most well-known prehistoric monuments. And yeah. it is located in Salisbury Plain in southern England. Why did I always think that Stonehenge was in Ireland? I I don't know. <laughs> I always thought it was in Ireland. I don't know why, but it's in southern England. I don't know. Like when I saw that, I was like, that's funny. What? I was really confused. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the, it, it has just that vibe, you know? Yeah. So although it is the most well-known, there's actually a ton of prehistoric stone circles in Great Britain. And Stonehenge is not even the largest of them. There's tons of them around, actually. The stone circle that is the largest is Avebury, which is located about 25 miles north of Stonehenge. Hmm. So the history of Stonehenge, how it was built, how it was made. So it was built in several different stages throughout hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay. But the very first work to begin was started about 5,000 years ago. Very long time ago. That's a long time 5, ago. 5,000 years. Yeah. The oldest part of Stonehenge was built between 3,000 and 2935 BCE. Okay. So a little bit ago. A little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Construction began with digging of like a circular pit and the outside was kind of like mounded a little bit. Okay. And that pit would later be filled with the stones in this big circle. So when studying and researching the pit, researchers found a few things buried in the ground in and around it, including antler picks, which were actually used to dig the pit. Wow. I know. That's kind of cool. As well as bones from cattle and deer, which were already hundreds of years old before they were placed in the ground. Hmm. Yeah. So really, really freaking old stuff. Yeah. It amazes me that the tools that they right? used so long ago, you know? Right? Like, like how did yeah. they... I feel like I couldn't do that now. How could they do that then? Yeah. Without like yeah. cranes and... Uh, we'll get into it. Absolutely. Yes. They also found a lot of human bodies. <gasps> oh. There's a lot of them. Hmm. Most were like cremation burials, so like burned. Hmm. And they're kind of like encircling the pit in like the mounds. Okay. And they have found between 150 to 300 uh, cremation burials at Stonehenge. Dang. I know, a lot of bodies. Yeah. Most of these were adult males. And Stonehenge is considered to be the largest cemetery of the time period, basically. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. So from that time, yeah. So later on, the stones were added very gradually into this big pit. 
And this phase occurred between 2640 and 2480 BCE, so a little bit later. Yeah. And it's still kind of a big mystery how they got the stones there because they're freaking ginormous. The, yeah. They're huge. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, they're huge. The larger stones have an average of 25 tons each. Damn. A ton is 2,000 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. What? So how did these ancient people, without this machinery, anyways. Yeah. How do they even, how do they even weigh them to know that? What a great question. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. So hmm. the lar- these larger stones, the 25 tons each around, came from uh, Marlborough Downs, which is only about 20 miles away from like Stonehenge. That's where the, mm-hmm. the stone itself came from. But the, there are a lot of smaller blue stones, they call them, between two to five tons, which is still a lot. Uh-huh. And those actually originate from the Purcelli Hills in West Wales, which is about 150 miles away from Stonehenge. Jeez. All the way up north, basically. They still don't know how like these particular, the blue stones got from Wales to here. Yeah. And actually in 2000 a Welsh group of scientists tried to recreate the journey of one of these blue stones from Wales to Stonehenge. Really? Yeah, so they basically were like let's try to figure out how they did this. Let's get a stone from Wales and let's try to move it to Stonehenge. Huh. They failed spectacularly. <laughs> so many problems arose that they eventually just had to scrap it. Because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. So at first they tried to use like a, a sled type deal. Uh, and then the sled and the stone were stolen. Somebody stole the stone? Yeah. Okay. That was later found and recovered. But they couldn't get the stone back on the sled without using a crane. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to do it by boat. And as the way that they did it was they had these... They had two boats and the stone was kind of in like a net type thing in between them, in between the boats holding it up. Yeah. And then the ropes fell and the the rock sunk all the way to the bottom. Oh my God. And then they had to get another gra- a crane to get that one out. <sighs> so it was just a huh. whole big mess. They had no idea yeah. how. They still don't yeah. know. No clue. Wow. Huh. Interesting. So once the stones got to the pit... They were smoothed down by being pounded with hammers over and over again to get that smooth texture that they have. Yeah. The stones were then arranged into a kind of like circular horseshoe type of shape inside the pit. So of the stones, there are five trilithons, trilithons. I'm not sure how, how exactly you pronounce that, which are the, they're like, they're the ones that have the thing sitting on top of it. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. So it's like two, a pair of stones, tall stones, and then one large flat one sitting atop both of those. Yeah. So like a big three stone thingy thing. (laughs) You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. A big three stone thingy thing. Thingy thing. First of all, how did they get that third one on the top? It's as if you took two dominoes and put them straight up and down. Like you were going to make a little domino thing to fall. And then you took another domino and put it on top of them 
So right. that it laid on top of those two. Right. Genius. In case if someone doesn't know what Stonehenge looks like. In case you don't get it from the three stone thingy thing, there's a description <laughs> for you. So there's about five of those. There were originally about three of the of these trilithons and about 30 other stones that were all placed into this kind of curved circular shape. Only three of the trilithons are still standing today. The other ones have been either either fallen or knocked over or taken for research or, you know, whatever. Okay. Each of these stones of Stonehenge were laid out very systematically with exact measurements between them. Hmm. So it was very exact. Yeah. Four of these tall stones were placed in kind of a square formation on the corners, as you could say, of the circle, as if it was like north, south, east, west almost. Okay. And research and excavation found that during this time period when they were setting up the stones and stuff, there was a small community nearby of little houses and shops and whatever that was possibly a builder's camp that existed around this time for whoever was building Stonehenge. So the next phase of the building occurred between 2470 and 2280 BCE. And during this phase, a kind of road was built between Stonehenge and the River Avon, which wasn't too far. It was only about two miles of a road. Okay. And people have theorized that they used this road to get the stones from the river to Stonehenge. Like they brought it by boat onto the river and carried the stones to Stonehenge. But other people think that this road is more ceremonial because the road perfectly aligns itself with the sunrise on summer solstice and the sunset on the winter solstice. Interesting. Very interesting. And we'll come back around to that. Don't you worry. Okay. I feel like I'm talking really fast. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) Anyways, so... Everything in and around Stonehenge was built gradually over hundreds and hundreds of years. So first they had to move the ground into this big circle thingy that they wanted, and then they had to move all the stones. It all took a really long time, which is kind of crazy that this project was like passed down for so long. Yeah. That like whoever these people were that built it knew to keep building it for centuries. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Passed it down to their kids and were like, hey, we're building this thing. Whenever you get older, you keep doing it. Yeah. Which I just want to, I want to hear that conversation so bad, <laughs> you know, of like some parent builder explaining to their child why they're building this because I want to know. Yeah. And and where did that die off, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially because this is like a super remote location. Yep. So having to get everything there and everybody there to this weird remote location, why did they, why? Right. Who knows? We'll get into the theories in a little bit. Okay. So as time went on, eventually Stonehenge was privately owned for a little while. Really? Yeah. Starting in the Middle Ages, it was privately owned. And a little fun fact here for you. In 1877... Charles Darwin studied earthworms at Stonehenge. Really? Yeah. Huh. It was kind of crazy. He actually published a study about 
earthworms and like how they their tunneling under the earth shifted the the rocks of Stonehenge. Hmm. You know, because as the worms were digging and burying under the earth, the earth shifted and moved the rocks. Yeah, so gradually over time. So that was something really interesting I found out. Yeah. Anyways, Stonehenge was privately owned for a little bit. So in the late 1800s, a lot of people started to come visit Stonehenge just because it's this big spectacular thing that nobody had ever seen before. Yeah. And it started to eventually take a toll on the area, on the ground, on the stones. People were chipping bits away of the stone and taking it with them or, you know, taking stuff from Stonehenge, basically. Hmm. So the owner at the time, Sir Edmund Antrobus, ignored the pleas to sell the land to the government for preservation. He was like, nope, this is mine. Which, crazy that this man owned Stonehenge? Yeah. That's crazy. And continued to own it. His family continued to own it until the early 1900s. Was it always privately owned before that? I don't really know. It says it was privately owned for a while starting in the Middle Ages. Oh, okay. So I think before that, it was just kind of there. Yeah. I don't think anybody really owned that. It was just... Interesting. ...existing. Yeah. Hmm. So in the early 1900s, Sir Edmund Antrobus's son decided to put a fence up around the monument and start charging admissions fees. Okay. The very first admissions fees of Stonehenge, which I mean, if you own Stonehenge, should be making some money off of that. Yeah, I mean... If you can, why not? Yeah, what well, you know. So this continued for about 15 years until 1915 when the Antrobus heir was killed in World War I, unfortunately. Hmm. Very sad. When this happened, Stonehenge went up for auction. Oh. What? <laughs> what? Can you imagine... Going to an auction for this prehistoric <laughs> monument that has right. so that has become so well known throughout the world. That's like bidding on the arch. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or the Statue of Liberty. You know? Right. <laughs> it went up for auction and it was bought by a local resident named Cecil Chubb. Okay. And Cecil Chubb bought it for six thousand six hundred pounds. Okay. okay. Which is about $8,385. Okay. Back then. Yes. Today. Okay, I was hoping you would convert that, would, that for me. <laughs> I did. Okay, good. Today, would, that would mean basically that he bought it for $254,000. That's it? Yeah. He bought Stonehenge for that? Uh-huh. Oh my God. Right? That's insane. So this man was this man was a popular man for a little while. Wow. Okay. Three years later, after he bought it, he donated Stonehenge to the national government. Wow. Okay. For preservation. I know, He's right? Donated Go it? Cecil. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay. He thought that it deserved to be preserved. Good. So he donated it to the national government and to recognize Mr. Chubb for his good deed. The prime minister at the time, Lloyd George, knighted Cecil Chubb. Oh, cool. Yeah, he became a knight. Very cool. Nice. Nice. Good job, Cecil. So proud of you. Yeah, for sure. Since then, Stonehenge has been protected by the national government. 
And an interesting fact about the more recent history of Stonehenge is that between 1985 and 2000, summer solstice gatherings were banned at Stonehenge. What? Yeah. And I'll tell you the story. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. In 1974, during the summer solstice, which has always been a huge thing for Stonehenge, the summer solstice. Yeah. Because of the rising right over the road and... Right. In 1974, during the summer solstice, which was huge at Stonehenge, the Stonehenge Free Festival, the yearly festival, began and grew very popularly. And it was very much like a hippie summer solstice. I could see that. Type of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the 70s. It's the summer solstice. Yeah. Yeah. And the numbers grew and grew and grew over the next 10 years. So in 1984, tens of thousands of people showed up to Stonehenge on the summer solstice. Wow. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And of course, we had a bunch of hippies. So authorities were worried about open drug use. Oh, yeah. I could see that. And they banned the event for Mm. the next year, 1985. But just for 1985, they said... No, thank you. However, the 1985 summer solstice appeared, and a convoy of vehicles full of festival goers made their way to Stonehenge. They were on their way. These people were all part of a movement called the New Age Travelers, Hmm. which I don't really know a lot about them. Okay. I don't know what their, their whole deal is. Yeah. I would be interested to find out, though. So about seven miles away from Stonehenge... The convoy was stopped by police. What happened next varies a lot depending on who you talk to. Okay. Police said that they were just instantly attacked by people in the vehicles. The traveler said that police stopped them and dragged people out of their vehicles unprovoked and began beating them. Hmm. So I feel like something had to have happened. Yeah, I'm like, those are two very different things. And yeah. generally... You just don't do something unprovoked. No. No. Like, I don't feel like either of these groups would have done that. Yeah, I feel like Especially not the hippies with, like, the whole... Very peace, peace, love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seems a little sketchy. I have no idea what happened, really. I'm sure something happened to provoke both of them, and they just kind of, you know... I would... Yeah. So, the travelers fled to a nearby bean field where they were surrounded by police and things got really violent. Mm. Twelve people ended up being hospitalized. Oh my gosh. And a bunch of arrests were made. This became known as the Battle of the Bean Field. Oh, okay. I didn't... A whole battle between the police and the hippies. Jesus. And summer solstice gatherings were then banned until 2000. Oh. So for a whole 15 years, they were yeah. banned. So there must have been some battle. Heck yeah. So that's the history of Stonehenge. Now okay. we're going to get into the theories as to why it exists. And I have my own theories. Okay. People have questioned the reason for Stonehenge existing ever since it was... Yeah. Ever since it's been around, basically. Like with how much effort went into it and 
how long it took. There's got to be some reason for it to be there. And we don't have any kind of written account or anything from the people at the time. Right. So the first written theory was written in the 12th century by Geoffrey of Monmouth. Okay. Very fancy. Go Geoffrey. And he suspected that Stonehenge was constructed by the wizard Merlin. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) He said that Merlin either used his own magic powers or giants to pick up Stonehenge from its original location in Ireland and move it to where it now sits in the Salisbury Plain, which sounds super realistic. Yeah, I'm not going to go with Joffrey's um No. I mean, it's a theory. cute little folktale, though. Yeah. But... It's a good story. It's a good story, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another theory from the 18th century said that the monument was built as a druid temple. So okay. the druids is like a... It's like a type of religion, spirituality of right. the Celtic people. So they said it was a druid temple. And the idea that the site has been used for religious and spiritual worship has been a very long-standing theory because of everything. It just kind of seems like with how much dedication has been put into it, you know? Yeah. It could be some kind of spiritual thing. Right. And it still could be, but its connection with the Druids was easily disproved since Stonehenge is about 2,400 years older than Druids. Oh, So that's just how it goes. Right. Druids didn't exist until then. In the 1960s, a theory emerged saying that Stonehenge was some kind of astronomical calendar and that it was used to predict eclipses. Hmm. Now, I don't know if it could predict eclipses, but the whole summer solstice, winter solstice thing with the road that leads to Stonehenge. Right. And there is also a stone called the Heel Stone, which is the largest stone in Stonehenge. And the sun rises directly over the Heel Stone on the solstice, the summer solstice, and sets directly over it on the winter solstice. Okay. That kind of seemed like it's some big giant calendar. Yeah. Just to keep track of how the year was progressing, which is would be really important information for these communities for you know, farming, gathering, hunting, all that kind of stuff. In 2008, archaeologists suggested that Stonehenge was used as a center for healing the sick and injured. Okay. This theory arose because archaeologists found a lot of the bodies had been, not a lot, but some of the bodies had been buried with marks of injury or sickness. Mm -hmm. So they thought maybe people came to Stonehenge for some kind of... I don't know, magical healing something, or maybe it was like healers and people who knew how to heal people would go there. I don't know. But that was another theory. Yeah. And it hasn't been necessarily disproved or anything, but it's seen as not very likely since it's really only a few of the bodies had marks of injury or sickness, and that can just happen naturally. I mean, it could ab- it could be that that person or people believe that, whether right. it's a widely known thought, right. a group of people could believe that and could specifically go there for that. Right. 
but maybe not the reason it was built necessarily. Yeah, but people could definitely mm-hmm. see it as some kind of spiritual healing place. Yeah. And some people have proposed that Stonehenge was built as a monument to the ancestral dead, mm-hmm. with the stones itself representing eternal afterlife, which would explain all the bodies and, you know, it basically being just kind yeah. of a big burial site with these big stones. Right. And of course, there's plenty of people who believe that Stonehenge is a product of aliens. I knew that one was coming. <laughs> Some people have even reported seeing UFOs hovering above mm-hmm. Stonehenge a couple of times. And other people, archaeologists, have theorized that Stonehenge was some kind of intersection between territories that served as like a gathering place. Mm, I see. So there's all these crazy, all over the place theories. Yeah. My theory is that it's kind of just all of them mashed together. Mm. I think the calendar idea is probably the one I would lean most towards, but I do also feel like it's definitely been used as like a spiritual ceremony type place. Yeah. Because of the solstices and the burials and... You know, it just kind of has that feel to it. And people still go to it even now as kind of a spiritual experience. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah. But it might not have been originally built to be this kind of spiritual thing, but maybe that's what it turned into. Right. Stonehenge today. You can visit Stonehenge today, although it is not fully complete as some of the stones, like I said, have been taken away or stolen or used for research You know, things happen over a few thousand years. But you can still visit it today. Prices vary from 14 to 23 pounds per person, which is about 17 to $30 per person. And I think they have a nice little museum set up there that you can walk through. And they have, um, they have like a, I don't know if it's a picture or if it's like a statue of what these people who might have built Stonehenge would have looked like, like recreating one of the skeletons. And they have like one of the huts built that was in the community nearby. They've got a lot of really good information laying around there for sure. And they've got tour guides, of course. Cool. Yeah. And I've always wanted to go here. Maybe I think it'd be so cool. I think it'd be really cool. Maybe someday. Yeah. And also, as I was researching this, I was looking on my Ancestry.com. Yeah. And like 40% of my ancestry comes from this southern England area. Really? That makes me wonder if maybe one of those people buried there is one of my ancestors. You never know. You never know. And it makes me just want to go there even more. You never know. Could be. So that's what I got for Stonehenge. Okay, I cannot leave this episode without making this comment because the immediate moment you said we were doing Stonehenge, Stonehenge, this just flashed in my head. Okay, I'm ready. And you probably don't know this visual. Okay, I'm scared. Of of Clark Griswold knocking down Stonehenge in National Lampoon's European vacation. (laughs) I don't know that. When the Griswolds go on another I mean, I vacation. Know, I know National Lampoon's vacation, but. This is the European vacation and he like leans up against it and the whole thing literally falls down like dominoes. Dude. 
People would be so mad. <laughs> People would be so mad. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the real oh, Stonehenge in the, in the movie. I don't, I don't think okay. so. I thought maybe yeah. they'd like propped him back up after that or something. I mean, they could have totally like casually lifted that 25 pounds, 25 tons, pounds, 25 tons. Yeah. But I had to say it because I was like, uh, I didn't want to interrupt the story, <laughs> but I was like, I got to say it at least at the end and just get Stonehenge it out there. Stonehenge is just like so popular. And I was trying to think of like all the movies I know it from. Like I was thinking about Brave the whole time. Oh, yeah. And which like Brave is like. Scotland. So maybe I thought it was in Scotland. Merida. Yeah. So maybe I thought it was in Scotland because of that, or like Scotland, Ireland. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But I really liked digging into this, and I probably could have found a lot more because there was a lot, but I had to kind of condense it. Yeah. I'm sure there was. There was a lot. Alrighty. There we are. That's Stonehenge for you. All right. Well, I'm glad we're back. I'm glad all of you are back listening to us. Yes, we love you all. Yes, we missed you. We missed doing this. Yes, I did actually. I was sitting I did down too. studying, and and I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, yeah. And and like three years ago, me saying studying would be fun. <laughs> um. What? High school me saying studying history, history would be fun. Especially. Especially history. Right. Yes. Like. But I mean, first of all, we're doing history. I feel like that is a lot more fun than my monotone high school history teacher. Right. Who I, I always think of Bueller. 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 Uh, but. I also, always think of like, Professor Binns from. Harry Potter, because he's the he's a ghost professor and he teaches oh. history of magic and everybody falls asleep in his class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor Bins. But I, Anyways. I enjoy uh, spending the the time with you as well. Yeah, I guess I like hanging out with you. Yeah, I and can, then I can this... do it every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but this morning I was thinking, oh, I'm I miss doing this and I want to get back. Yeah. Back I do to a too. regular schedule, so I'm Me excited. Too. And I want to find more, like, also. I really want to find more witchy places to do mm. that might have, like, a witchy history behind them, you know? There you go. Look for I it. think I could do that. It'd be fun. Okay. All right. Anyways, guys, if you want to follow us on TikTok at Roadside Podcast, you are welcome to do that. Instagram at Roadside Pod. Facebook at Roadside Podcast. YouTube at Roadside Pod. And our website is roadsidepodcast.com. And you can email us at roadsidepod at gmail.com. Do it. Do all of those things. All of them. Every single one that we just listed. Do it right now. <laughs> and share with your friends. Please do. Who might we also our enjoy listening. Yes. All right. Well, we love you all. Thank you all for listening. We love you. And we hope you keep finding the thrill in the mysterious. Bye, bye, bye.